I'm Jamie Dew, and this is A Show of Strength. Hey, it's Jamie here, and welcome to Songs of Strength number four. It is the first Sunday in October, so we are well into autumn and weather that comes with it. Very unpredictable. But I enjoy autumn from a looking out my window perspective. I love the colors. I love the feel. I love the temperature. Autumn is a wonderful time, and it's a time that I can often find calm. On Songs of Strength, we go about things a little bit differently when it comes to finding calm. I invite a guest to come over to my house and bring six songs with them. Six songs that help them find calm or have meaning or purpose to them and their journey with mental illness. Today's guest is no exception. I first met Justin Dickey through his podcast, My Therapy, which you can find on iTunes. And it's, it's funny because when you listen to someone's podcast and they are as candid and willing to share as Justin is, you really start to feel like you get to know them. So one day I reached out and I said, I've got this new show. It's called Songs of Strength. And I think you'd be a real good fit. So why don't you head over, bring me six songs and the stories that go with them, and we'll go from there. Justin was on board right away. He was very excited by the idea. And that made me feel wonderful. So after a couple scheduling and anxiety issues between Justin and myself, we got together and what was really delightful was that sitting across the table from him was the same as listening to his podcast. And, and by that, I mean, there's no artifice on the podcast. He is very vulnerable, sincere, and unvarnished. He's working through things sometimes as he goes. And that's what this is about. I'm really glad that I reached out to Justin, and I'm really glad that you're going to get to hear this conversation today. So on that note, let's give it a listen. This is Justin Dickey with his Songs of Strength. Fuck you, you're drunk and acting tough. I know you said you're not the only one who feels like that now. So when I first really identified that I maybe wasn't okay, was first in university. Yeah. Uh, for years, I and now that I reflect on it more recently and going through uh, some therapy and actually talking to my parents about it, I think that I became depressed. I really started to show symptoms. Like I was like 10 years old. Okay. So it really goes back to childhood, and it, I was kind of like on and off. Never, I was always the type of person. Actually, had a, a, a had a appointment with my psychologist this week, and I I kind of went into this whole 
existential crisis I constantly have. And uh, it goes back to when I was a kid, but like the whole, like the idea of, you know, why, why are we here? What's the point? Um, That's always stuck with me. And that, that when I get low and down on myself, I go there too. And it just spirals the depression. I can relate. Uh, Anyway, back when I, like I kind of developed when I was a kid, that's kind of the earliest I can remember not feeling quite right. But in university, it, it really, uh, really crushed me. Uh, my first year university, I was really struggling academically. Uh, and like I started having sleep problems and like I'd be up all night, sleep all day, couldn't get out of bed, couldn't go to school. Uh, you know, plowed through it, got through, you know, by the skin of my teeth in the first year. Um, just with kind of the ebbs and flows of things, I was I I, I kind of rebound a little bit in the first semester of my second year, but then crashed really hard again in the second semester of my second year. And uh, that was you know through that, I can't. It's hard to remember the timeline exactly, but over the next year or two around that time, I started to get some help. I got I, I was put on medication by my doctor at the time. Uh, that didn't work, but it was going to see a uh, psychologist. I had to go see a couple different ones. That was the first time I went to see a psychologist. I went in and I sat down, and the guy goes, so what, like, how can I help you or whatever? And I said, well, I am depressed. And he goes, okay, well, like, let's, let's eliminate the, the superficial uh, words and like, just tell me what's going on. And Whoa. I was like, I, I don't want to tell you. Like, I feel like shit all the time. Like, I can't sleep. I... Right. And he's like, yeah, but like, what's going on? Like, what's like, basically essentially saying what's causing? It. I was like, I don't know. That's why I'm here. I need some help. But like, he he couldn't get over that hump with me. It was almost like this guy who had dedicated his life to uh, the study of the human mind was uh, telling me to get over it. It's uh, kind of how I felt. So that didn't go so well. But it was like one or two uh, psychologists later that you know, there was someone that helped me and kind of helped me talk through things and kind of started to feel better and kind of learn how to cope a little bit. And, and then from there, kind of carried on with life. It took, took me a couple of years to go through that, and I was up and down, but then kind of carried on. I, I got a diploma, uh, started working. Um, a big sports fan and uh, was, was a diehard Montreal Canadiens fan. I'm from Nova Scotia originally. And uh, through some stroke of luck, or I don't know what you call it, I... Uh, I had the opportunity to go work for the minor league affiliate of the Montreal Canadiens. And cool. so that was really cool. Kind of not speaking French is kind of the next best thing I could do besides working for the team. Oh my God, totally. Uh, so that was exciting. I was kind of riding high there for a while. But even then, like w- once I moved out to Hamilton uh, about five years ago, um, after that initial high of like kind of like this is my, this is what all I wanted in life. Um, I, just something didn't sit right. And I, I just, I wasn't okay. And uh, that kind of festered for a while. And uh, I expect it was uh, partly I lost my job uh, two years later as the team moved. And then uh, essentially the team left, another team came in to replace it. It was a junior team, and they didn't need my role, essentially. But, I mean, there were other people that kept their jobs. I think it was a combination of not needing my role necessarily and that I, may, I probably had a shit attitude. Um, and that was as a result of my spiraling. And I, 
So I lost my job and I was out of work for three months and I just kind of stewed for three months over that and wondered how much longer I could go on and what worth do I have in this world and that sort of thing. And I just let it fester. Uh, I got a new opportunity with uh, the largest sports organization in the country at Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, working for the uh, minor league affiliate, the Toronto Raptors. And that was an exciting experience, kind of on top again for a few weeks. And then uh, work is becomes overwhelming and there's a lot on the go and I don't get a lot of time off during the sports season. And I imme- pretty much immediately started the spiral again. And uh, I was just like, I got to get out. I can't handle it. It's too much. It's too much work. It's too much stress on my uh, personal life. Uh, I felt it was... Uh, it was just hurting my home life. I had no like quality of home life. When I go home, I just wanted to sleep, and I had no uh, quality of social life. Like I, I didn't. Whenever somebody wanted to do something, I couldn't. I had to work. So that just really weighed on me. And I, again, just that whole spiraling process. And I, I dipped out of there after six months, and uh, went to a marketing agency. And then uh, again, there's this honeymoon period where it's like, okay, I think that I can do. I can do this, and my life's going to get better now without actually dealing with anything. Uh, I just thought it was all work-related. Um, so I, for about three months at this marketing agency, you know, things were going really well. And then, again, just went south. And I started, you know, I came out to Ontario to pursue this uh, career in, in sports. And now I'm working at this marketing agency slinging cell phones, and I, and I hate it. And... Uh, and I didn't have a very good relationship with my boss. I didn't have a very good relationship with anybody in the office. It was a different dynamic. I was close with people that I worked with in sports, and it was just a different feel working in this office environment. You, know, you work nine to five, and I had so much. I, I went from not having any time off to having all this time off, and then instead of using it, I, I would just, again, I would just, I don't know, this whole spiral, or I just felt like shit all the time, and then it just, I was like, what am I doing with my life? And I, you know, I, just a whole bunch of self-doubt and self-lo- self-loathing. It just goes on and on and on. And then I was there about a year, and just the, the relationship with my manager was not good, and I, I didn't like my job, and I, I saw no value in what I was doing and what I was contributing to the world and that sort of Yikes. thing, this whole, again, existential thing. And uh, my wife was on... Uh, a work trip and I've been saying for a while like I don't really like my job I need to get out I need to get out and then I got to a point where I was like I think I'm just going to quit and then when I, my, my wife was on a work trip and I was talking to her on the phone I had a really bad especially bad day and I've been kind of holding all of this uh, all this inner tension inside and not even really sharing it with her right. just saying that it was all work related and uh, she said, I said, I think I just got to quit. And she said, we well, can't do that. We need the money. And then I just kind of blurted out, well, if I don't quit, I might kill myself. Uh, like genuinely. Um, like this is getting to a point where I cannot go on. Like I don't want to live. This kind of how much it, that's how far it got, how deep it was at that point. And then what's baffling to me in hindsight, that was a little over a year ago that that all went down. What's baffling to me in hindsight is that it took me about. It took me from May to October to actually do anything about it. I kind of, you know, just thought I'll keep looking for work, keep looking for work, like I, and then that'll fix it. But like I kept looking for work, I kept getting interviews, I kept getting turned down, and that just made things like I just, I, I just feeded the self-loathing and the self-hatred and this and the self-worth problems. 
which were all which were all the problems that you had been dealing with since university, but you just kept changing your scenery. Yeah, exactly. Scenery change after scenery change. You know, this kind of a... Sometimes people say, oh, you just need to change the scenery. Well, some people do, and some people... I've tried that again and again, and just nothing was working. And, uh, because it's nothing to do with the scenery. It's to do with your reflection in the mirror, for God's sake, or, or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... And finally in October, I was like, okay, like, I don't know. It was back at that point where I was like, I don't know how much longer I can go. Like I, like I might just like run my car off the road one of these days and that'll be it. And that's, that's kind of where I was headed. So I just, I was like, I had a day off. I was on, like, I had a mini vacation. I was like, back, do go back to work the next day. And I was like, you know what? I need to deal with this today. I checked in with a psychologist office a couple weeks prior and just to gauge like what their process is, how quickly can I get in? And they said, you know, we, we have appointments available, whatever. So I, I actually emailed them that morning and I got in, I got in that day. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I went in, the guy asked me, how can I help you? And I, what brought you in here today is exactly what he said. And, he, and I said, I didn't say anything. Sorry. I froze and I started bawling. Uh, I was like, I, I couldn't function for about five minutes. I would try to talk and I would just start bawling again. I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm here because I don't know what to do. Like, I don't want to live. I don't want to, that's not really genuine because I, I wanted to live but I had no will to live, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. You wanted to live to the extent that you went to somebody to try and steer you in a direction that would help you to live. Yeah. But if left to your own devices, like you, like you mentioned, my gosh, like, you know, to drive a car off the, you know, like you were thinking, you were thinking about mortality during even just everyday tasks. You know, like I'm going to drive from point A to point B, but maybe there'll be a point C in the middle, you know? It oh, was, yeah. yeah, just the the most mundane daily tasks were excruciating and exhausting. And it got to a point, I just, so we just talked that out for an hour in my first session. And uh, I said, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to approach this. I think I just, like, if I could get some medication, that would be a start. But I didn't even know the psychologist can't prescribe. That was the first step. Uh, but I said, maybe I need some time off work. I don't know. And he said, okay, well, uh, you know, let me think on it, and uh, and uh, I'll follow up. And I went home, and he called me an hour later, like after hours, and he said, I'm writing you a letter for your employer, I think you need some time off and I want you to, I think if you can do it, you should take the rest of the year off. So. And this is October. Yeah. And I was just like, wow. I never, I never identified probably until that moment that what I was going through was an illness. I thought that I was weak. That's why I'm so passionate about sick, not weak that uh, Michael Landsberg movement just because it says so much or so little. Absolutely. Very powerful. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So from there, I, 
I went in the next day and I, I sat down with my manager and I said, I, I need, I went to see a psychologist last night and I'm, I need to go off work today. I go, I'm going to pass off my responsibilities and I got to go. Like, and that was excruciating because even though I really didn't like this person, uh, I just felt like I was letting my team down because it was like no notice. Like this is this is happening. I'm doing it. It was a selfish like it was a, it was selfish, but it was selfish in the way that I needed it at the time. Like it was something I never I was I was never did anything selfish, and that's why I got to where I was. Well, we're conditioned to feel a certain way about work and about um, you know our place in the in society based on whether we're working or not, or where we're working and how much money we earn. You know, so that's a lot of baggage that you're carrying around, and for you to walk in. And have to deal with that on your own while you have just finally been, for lack of a better word, validated by this um, psychologist, you know, that that must have been a hell of a day. It was it was very emotional. I actually went home and I basically cried the rest of the day about how I had disappointed people, the very people that in a way contributed to where I was in, in that moment that I I needed that time off because I had toxic relationships, but the toxic, the people I had the toxic relationship with, I felt like, like I let down and it upset me and it hurt me. And I, and I was very emotional about it. So from there, it was basically a six month nap. Um, I did a lot of sleeping, a lot of, uh, wondering if this is the last day. Like, I don't know how much I can go through this. Uh, my doctor I saw after the psychologist and he didn't want to put me on medication. He's like, go through your CBT and that should, that should help you. And CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. And that was being, um, you were learning that through your psychology appointments yes. or through your psychologist appointments. rather. Yep. Okay. So he's wow. like, yeah, you don't, you don't need medication. Let's try to go without it. Um, we'll use that as a last resort. So I went, did about six weeks of CBT and obviously nothing's working because I can't get out of my own fog. And I go back to my doctor. And I was like, please, I need something because it's not like this isn't working. It's like almost inhumane. It's like I can imagine a diabetic just being like, please, uh, can I have some insulin, please? Yeah. And they're just like, you know, just maybe try and uh, just don't eat or something. Tough you it know? out. Yeah, tough it out. <laughs> Jesus, it's just a kidney. Yeah, so uh, he put me on Cymbalta, and then I was on that from, like, November, the end of November until, like, the middle of January. Basically, long story short, that didn't work. Like, it's st- I went to my psychologist appointment every week, talked things out, you know, went through some CBT stuff. Uh, my psychologist also uh, recommended, and we worked through another type of therapy called acceptance, acceptance and commitment therapy, yeah. also known as ACT. And I worked through a workbook on that, and like I, I, it was basically like it was in one ear and out the other. Like I, I went in. It was almost like I wasn't present. It was just like I was just there. Right. I was, you know, I was taking in the information, but I wasn't doing anything with it. I couldn't. I was still in this fog, and that kind of culminated with. I just one night I couldn't take things anymore. I, I my suicidal ideation got so severe that I was like I I don't know I I don't know what else to do. And then my wife and I called uh, 
the crisis support line in Halton, and they recommended I go to the ER. I was admitted to the ER and uh, stayed a night there, went home the next day, because um, there wasn't actually a room in, in the ward, so I was just like in the holding area of the ER, and it was an exhausting night, and I was Not like, bad. you know what, let's just go home. They changed my meds. I thought, like, this might help. That They they kind of changed things up. I went home, and then, like, 24 hours later, I was like, no, we're going back to the hospital. So I went back to the hospital, and I get admitted this time, and then that was a whole ordeal that you can go listen to my hospitalization episodes on my podcast to go into <laughs> greater detail on. Nice plug. But anyways, I actually, it was so bad in that experience, how I was treated and and like the conditions of the of the ward that actually requested a discharge um on the condition that I went to Oakville that they said they discharged me but they said we'll discharge you but you are you have to go to the other hospital were you on a form at that point I was but they lifted it to let you go to let me go because um it was an ordeal uh, and I had some and we, they, there was the only thing they had going for them at the hospital is they had a fantastic uh, nurse on site uh, the day after the n- horrible night that I had, and a fantastic psychiatrist like A one, probably the best psychiatrist I've ever dealt with. Right, and from from here, as somebody who has listened to the hospitalization episodes, I know they transferred you to a different hospital. Correct me if I'm wrong. They transferred you to a different hospital. And then there were um, some incidents there. But once you got settled in, pick, maybe pick up the story from there. I've gone on long enough. It was like, I ended up staying there for 12 days. And when I was in there, they, they adjusted my meds. I saw the psychiatrist every weekday. And um, through the hospital, it was excruciating, as I've outlined. But I got my meds adjusted and I got the right combination. And when I, so after that, I started going back to my psychologist and like within weeks, like my mood was back up and I was starting to put into practice the, uh, what I was getting out of CBT. Wow. Great. Uh, clearly the medication was working. The, uh, act principles were, I was, I was using, and once I got that momentum, it, it just kept gradually getting better and better. You were able to do the work, yeah. right? Like you were in a, prior to that, you were in a place where you just yeah. could not do the work. So yeah, exactly. Um, and one thing I didn't mention was after the first time, the day after I got medicated for the first time by my doctor, I went to my psychologist and I said, okay, yeah, I got a prescription. And he literally let out like a, like a sigh of relief. And he said, now we can get to work because if you can't get to a place mentally where you can actually use this stuff, it's pointless. And that's what started to happen when I got the right mix of medications, when things started to work. Right. And I'm nowhere near entirely recovered. I still have bad days, as I, as we mentioned, uh, put off this podcast uh, earlier this week because I wasn't feeling myself. But um, overall, uh, the way I describe it is my average is rising all the time. And uh, what else, the other thing that's helped is that I, a manager that I worked with before, there's an opportunity to work with uh, another with a football team in Hamilton. And 
uh, with a situation where I knew the manager, best manager I ever had. He wanted me to work with him and just everything kind of fit for the moment. And it's good uh, work-life balance-wise. I'm here on a Thursday afternoon because I can be as we record this, uh, things like that. And it's just, it's a good fit. Uh, we see eye to eye. I know what to expect from him, from him. He knows everything I've been going through and supports me a hundred percent. And that getting back into a work environment where I'm like a productive member of society again, in an environment where I, where I'm trusted and valued has really allowed me to, um, continue recovery as well. Great. So in, in a roundabout way, that's that's my story. You've been through a lot. It's been a, I, I, well, let's start at the start. I mean, you identify now through some of the therapy that you've had that this started, you know, when you were young. But your last six months, eight months, ten months has been a nightmare and so you know every once in a while it's probably okay to just recount that 10 months and look at where you are right now and uh celebrate that a little bit so you know kudos to you for that it's okay every once in a while to reflect on you know where you were my god yeah in march you were in a hospital that's bonkers to think that now i'm sitting across from you and and, you know, you went to the hospital because you, you thought you were going to pack it in, you know? Again, it's that I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to live. No, I and, didn't. Yeah. Like, I'm on my last wit here. Like, let's, like, I'm going to the hospital because if I don't, this is it. Yeah. I'm going to do something drastic that I don't want to do, but I feel I have to. Well, I, I can tell you that from my experience, um, you did a lot of the the right things um you identified you you realized you couldn't do it yourself you got the help um it sounds like you were rather fortunate in some instances that the help that you sought out was there that's a, that's a good thing nailing the psychologist in the first try was massive holy shit yeah my and wife that's the person you're still with oh yeah yeah he's he's fantastic i like i don't know if i could ask for better my wife is going through some anxiety stuff right now, and recently uh, I convinced her to go see somebody. She's had like six appointments, and she told me this week that like it's time to cut bait. Like this person's not working out, and I said that's okay. Like a lot of people go to psychologists that maybe aren't very good at their jobs, and you got to keep trying. Of course, there are bad teachers, there are bad policemen, there are bad bus drivers, there are bad psychologists. Yeah. You know, uh, and sometimes it's not even that they're bad. There's just not the connection that you yeah, need. Yeah, maybe there's not a chemistry. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe that's all it is. And like, don't keep throwing um, good money after bad just because you've got six appointments in. Like, if it's not working, try something else. Agreed. Yeah, we need to we need to be better at that in, in general, you know, um, with a lot of different things. But um, so as far as as far as coping mechanisms, you know, when you have been depressed I know that video games are something that you do to sort of, um, you call it self-care, right? Yeah, uh, I can when I when I flip on a video game, I can check out, and I don't think I get, it's it's really a distraction technique, really. And it you just can makes, really turn off your brain at that point. Yeah, and that's sometimes really necessary. 
Uh, I want to venture into, you know, another area that some people use, which is, which is music. And it's uh, been huge for me too. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, um, the tracks that you brought today and the stories about these tracks and how, you know, they've helped you or, or what they mean to you. Okay. So the first track that I've got on the list here, it's interesting because the first track that I have on the list here is a Foo Fighters song. And when you sent me your list initially, you had two Foo Fighters tracks and, you know, I sort of was like, you can keep two Foo Fighters tracks, but with only six tracks, it's probably better to pick, um, you know, a sixth band. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about, before we get into the track that you did keep, uh, talk a little bit about the track that you um, jettisoned at my, uh, <laughs> at my yeah. behest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, made a, you made a strong point, and uh, the Foo Fighters are my favorite band. Um, I, so I had... Uh, the best of you is the one that I dropped and I draw it was on there because uh, that one's very, very sentimental and very recently sentimental because um, I was at the Foo Fighters show in, in July, my brother and uh, my sister, my, uh, my brother and my wife's brother and sister and her brother's fiance all came out. So uh, all, all of you went to the concert. Yeah. So we're from Nova Scotia. My brother and her sister came from Nova Scotia. My brother and her sister came from Nova Scotia. And her brother and his fiance came from Vancouver. So wow, coast to, we all came together from coast to coast for this concert. Um, and it was, in a way, at least for my brother and I specifically, it was almost like a celebration of what I've been through. Um, and... Uh, my brother and I were sitting together. We had to get seats in a couple of different spots. So we didn't buy all the tickets all at once. And my brother and I sat together like a row ahead of everybody, ahead of everybody else. And uh, no, it was a good con- it was a good show and whatever. We're having a good time. But when Best of You came on, my brother literally like grabbed a hold of me and like hugged me for the entire thing. And uh, you know, Best of You is maybe not necessarily about depression or um, you know interpret it how you will but um it was almost like i was getting the best of me and i defeated it and like it just meant a lot to sit there with my brother and uh enjoy that moment i wanted to put run on because it's probably my favorite song in existence it's kind of the perfect foo fighter song it uh it starts very melodic and it's got lots of uh you know melodic parts throughout it's got a little bit of like a thrash metal feel to it at points and uh, it's just a, and then it's got like that driving guitar in it throughout. It's just a very uh, Foo Fighters sound.
okay, Dave fucking rocks, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> there's just, it, it's tough to listen to a track like that and walk away from it and be, um, I don't know, it elevates your blood pressure. You know what I mean? Like, it elevates your bass pulse rate. Like, it, it it's fast it's furious but there's a lot of dynamics going on as well with the um you know with the softer the softer melodic stuff at the beginning and then you get right into you know him just wailing like a fucking <laughs> just wailing like a madman um that he, that he really is uh tough tough to listen to that track and not walk away from it with a bit of a grin on your face that's why that's why it's there and that's why i love it uh one criteria for me uh well, one thing, one therapeutic thing that I've discovered that I really, that really uh, gets me going, especially even when I'm in a bad mood, is uh, a drive home from work or a drive to work. If I uh, put some tunes on that I can sing and crank it as loud as it'll go and scream it as loud as I can, I just feel better. You get, a, you get that adrenaline rush, right? And that's what that song does. Yeah, yeah, um, you can feel it. And the other thing is that Dave's my idol, and he lives life. Um, the way that I want to or the way that I wish I could and uh, that's just a good guy to aspire to be I think so too yeah. Yeah, he's pretty fucking great yeah. um, I'm a big fan I am 44 so I remember Nirvana breaking you know pretty um, pretty well and I remember when this next track came out how big a deal it was that we were getting new Nirvana Years after Kurt had passed. Absolutely. So the, the track is, you know you're right.
Okay. So there's a lot you can say about this track, obviously. I mean, we've got the we've got the connection with Dave. We've got the dynamic uh, again going on with the uh, loud and quiet. Um, that's just you know my my grab right off the top. That's the low hanging fruit. Talk to me about you know you're right. I don't even know where to start. Um, this was the last song they ever recorded um, and came out years after he had passed. Kurt died by suicide in 1994. And uh, I feel like there's a lot in here that um, speaks to a person that was struggling. And... Uh, in a way, in hindsight, and maybe it's just because of the aftermath, but I, in, in some parts I almost read it as almost like a suicide note. And it's... Uh, That's fucking heavy. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's difficult to uh, listen. To, like the one that gets me every time is... And there's this contrast. It's like he's conflicted. Um, it's either that or he's sarcastic. I'm not entirely sure. Like the last two lines before like the the last... Uh, chorus and then the the new year know you're right at the end um, the last two lines are things have never been so swell and I have never failed to fail um, when I've been at my lowest moments it's though it's that line that uh, always felt like that's how I feel and that's why it's always meant something to me and it's got like and then from a from a musical standpoint, like the intro uh, with like the guitar is so eerie, and then uh, the chorus, uh, interpreted how you will, um, I think he's just screaming. But some some people, and a lot of places you'll see it when you look up the lyrics, uh, think he's saying pain. I think he's just screaming. Um, either way, it's it's very heavy and. Uh, just the the words throughout are just uh, of someone like crying for help or saying like this is it for me, and that's why um, that's why it's always been one of my favorite songs. It's just is something that uh, speaks to me a little bit. Yeah, I got um, I got like little goosebumps uh, hearing you say that the pain part in particular, like. Um I don't know that I hear it, but the fact that some people do hear it, you know, they're not, they're not wrong. Either uh, way, it's pain. Yeah. Um, I mean, we know what happened now. The song is, there's context just based on what happened and, and the months leading up to it. I mean, they were supposed to do Lollapalooza that year and uh, he overdosed in, gosh, it was either France or, or Italy somewhere before um, the suicide happened and they went off the road. Uh, I guess that would have been 94, March of 94. Um, and, uh, you know, like, like you said, with the benefit of hindsight, we can say, well, fuck, there, there it is. But we, we know what happened, you know, a month, just, just over a month later. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shame not just because it's Kurt Cobain, um, but because it's a person and the fact that they felt so, uh, 
empty and alone and terrible that um, the only way to escape that was to, uh, and escape is probably too strong a word too because it makes it sound like, it makes it sound like something that it's not. It's just wanting it to end, just wanting it to stop. And, uh, you know, there's only one way to do that ultimately. And that's, um, that's pretty disappointing. And, uh, yeah, I'll listen to that song a little bit differently going forward for sure when I hear that. So thanks for sharing that. The, the next track that you've got on your list is, um, is Lincoln Park. And we know what happened with Chester Bennington uh, just over a year ago. We're recording this in, in uh, the summertime. Um, but aside from that, you know, why did you pick, you could have picked any number of Lincoln Park songs that, that, uh, that, you know, sort of have his anguish and his, his pain. But why does, why did you choose this one? Not unlike, you know, you're right. Um, I picked this one in particular because it so accurately portrays how I felt at times in my life. Um, and to be honest with you, when this album came out, I didn't like it. Um, this is not the last record, right? It's not the last record, like that came out a month or two before he passed. Um, I didn't, I didn't like the music. I thought that it sounded like too poppy. Um, and what's interesting about that is that the the record was largely panned, and uh, I. Th- I think that uh like Chester took that hard. Like he there's he's on record like bitching about how people need to fuck off more or less that this is his art and he's going to do what he wants with it. Essentially, I'm not I'm not it's not a, I'm not paraphrasing him or anything. That's just the gist of it. Um and when I listen to it again knowing what we know now that um, he was in such a dark place and that he took his own life. Um, when I listened to it again, this song in particular really speaks to me. Um, I, w- I would have glossed over it before, but when I took the time to to sit with it, I was just like, this is heavy. And I, that's the name of the song, so it fits. I don't like my mind right now. Stacking up problems that are so unnecessary Wish that I could slow things down I want to let go, but there's comfort in the panic And I drive myself crazy Thinking everything's about me Yeah, I drive myself crazy Cause I can't escape the gravity I'm holding on Why is everything so heavy? Dragging around what's bringing me down If I just let go, I'd be set free Holding on Why is everything so heavy? You say that I'm paranoid But I'm pretty sure the part is out to get me It's not like I made the choice So let my mind stay so fucking messy I know I'm not the center of the universe Just the same. Holding on. 
everything so heavy holding on so much more than i can carry i keep dragging around what's bringing me down if i just let go i'll be set free holding on why is everything so heavy why is everything so heavy why is everything so heavy dude that song is that song is you last october you know, that refrain, right? Like, why is everything so heavy, um, so much more than I can carry? You know, that's 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 your story. That's where you were. Uh, I completely understand why you chose this song. Um, you know, song lyrics are, are tough because we hear them and, you, you know, there, there's a part in the song even where he says, um, uh, thinking everything's about me. And uh, first of all, Chester Bennington, what a beautiful voice, like, fuck, God. Um, but thinking everything's about me, and, and yet I'm about to, you know, take those lyrics and make them about, about you. Like, uh, like, I'm listening to that, and it, it so lines up with where you were and what you were feeling, even to the extent that you, that you were thinking about death by suicide, um, you know, fuck that's uh yeah that is that is heavy that is that is a a big weight you were carrying and um a, a song that is listed in the if you go into iTunes or wherever you buy your music the rest of the album is um all the other tracks on the record are labeled from a genre perspective as alternative and that one is labeled as pop probably because of the collaboration um but pop music is typically there there's a hopefulness you know and and that song there's some trickery going on because um it's not it, it's not very hopeful like and, and maybe i'm adding layers of context because of what happened to to chester but fuck man um yeah that is an appropriately titled song i don't think it's a stretch to to correlate the words in those in, in that song and what happened. And that's what, like I get goosebumps when I listen to that song because it's laid out so clearly that he's not well and nobody could help him in the way he needed. And I just, every time one of these people goes, uh, Chris Cornell or Anthony Bourdain or Kate Spade, like every, every one of these celebrities that we lose, I mean, I don't know these people, but I feel like I feel partly responsible because as a society, we didn't do enough to make them feel ex like okay with the way they felt. And we need to do like, we need to change the way that we, we look at mental illness. It's, it's as simple as that. You're doing a lot of good work. So, you know, uh, keep that in mind. You're, you know, um, your sort of raison d'etre for starting your podcast was just that. And, uh, you know, there are people that are listening, myself included, that, that have heard it, and there have been days where it's just like, fuck, yes, there's somebody else out there. You know, as hard as this is to say to you, like, yes, there's somebody else out there that's miserable 
or that can't get out of bed, you know, of course I don't want to wish that on you and I don't, you know, want to be hopeful about that. But by the same token, it's like, that means that I'm normal. Like, yes, there are things that I need to be medicated for and, and, um, and changed, but I'm not this abnormal person living alone in, in agony at times, you know? And I'm thankful that I saw some kind of light and, and felt a, some glimmer of hope to keep going. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's a tragedy that a lot of people don't. Oh, 
you really have to lean into that ending. You really have to lean into probably the last 60 seconds of it to sort of um, stay on message. Winter Sleep, Caliber, where does it fit into their catalog? Why did you choose it? And um, and why is it, why are they so awesome? <laughs> uh, why they're so awesome? I guess it's because they're from Nova Scotia. <laughs> I don't know. And what's funny is that actually I'm going to sound like a total hipster, but I like their old stuff better. Like their their latest album was excellent, but uh, their old stuff, like their first couple of records before they were signed, I think, I think is their best stuff. And uh, Calibre, I believe, is off of their first record. Um, I chose this song just because it's another one of those uh, social commentary, I think, that's how I take it, type of songs, like Run, uh, just because as, as you listen to the lyrics, um, it's almost like a commentary. I, per, I perceive it, and I could be completely off base is how I take it. I think music's up for interpretation, however you want to interpret it. It's art, man. You can take it however you want. You're I take right. it as like a commentary on the society in the United States, particularly, uh, particularly on uh, like the gun culture. And it, it just talks about how it kind of goes into like droning through life and doing like everything that you're told to do and uh, like living that perfect life with your, with your wife and kid and picket fence and dog and that type of thing. But uh, there's also that twist to the, just like this dark twist to it where it's the, the last line in each verse is uh, or the last two lines is you keep your caliber loaded. No one's going to fuck this up as if to say, like, I want to have my perfect little life, but if anybody comes near me, I'll fucking kill you. And it's just this, like, I think it's completely, like, it's just, like, talking about that kind of skewed culture that we live in. So that's Caliber, and that's Winter Sleep. The next song that we're going to listen to is um, Symbolistic White Walls.
the chin I still believe everything that I hear Sometimes it's easy Sometimes it's easier Sometimes it's all free Sometimes it's all free Well, I have a psychic She says I'm loving She says inside of me Surround me and you every single day. We are cheap and see to me about why you chose simplistic white walls um i guess it's along the same lines really uh it's there's a line in the uh in the chorus that i don't know it's always kind of giving me chills uh in it's just uh it's slightly different in each chorus but um the first one is i have a psychic and she says i'm lonely she says my destiny is turning out all wrong and then the next chorus is, I have a psychic, she says I'm lonely, and she says inside of me is turning out all wrong. And when I hear that, I think there's been different times in my life, even very recently, where I felt like inside of me is turning out all wrong. And I got to figure out how to change that. I don't know where I'm going with this, but so many people just kind of like drone through life without like giving it a thought. Just this is what we're told to do. And that shit bothers me so these last two tracks i mean there there is there is um food for your existential sort of crisis going on it just teaches me that it tells me that i'm not the only one that thinks this way yeah but 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 aside from even thinking this way that you don't want to i mean you went through so many years of changing your scenery and trying to correct what you thought was going on. Um, and in doing so, you were droning on. You oh, were absolutely. being part of the machine and just sort of 
you know, driving at the appropriate speed level, uh, you know, tracking your kilometers, you know, the way you should and, um, you know, and taking it on the chin and just doing the shit because I guess that's what you're supposed to do. You're just supposed to like get on the fucking conveyor belt and just go until one day you're, you know, you fall off the other end. And that's something that um, clearly is going on inside of you. I still do it, but um, I just, I'm questioning it more and I'm, I'm determined through the rest of my life to figure out a way to not live within the confines of how we're supposed to do things. So that makes sense. No, it does. It, it, it totally does. It sounds like you've got a, a gig right now that you're enjoying more. You've also learned the lesson of like, you know, almost like you told your wife with the uh, psychologist, it's like cut bait, you know, like, and if you were in a job right now, I suspect you're in a better place that if, if that job felt not right, that I, I think that you'd probably feel a little bit better about cutting bait. And, uh, yes, you need the money, but you also need, you also need to nurture your soul. And if that's part of, you know, your sickness right now that your soul wasn't, you know, nurtured the way it needed to be, then, then good on you for having that awakening and, you know, getting to the point where you can, you know, course correct. Mm -hmm. You're, you're not old enough to, uh, just fucking just go with it. You know? Uh, Yeah. One thing I want to mention was I, 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 uh, I guess in the last part there, uh, he says, take the world and make it yours again. Um, it's almost on an uplifting note. It's like, you know, you just take and take and or you, you just take and take and take. And then, um, you only take so much, but you know, here's an opportunity. Everybody's got the opportunity to, you know, make the world what they want it to be. Yeah. I like that. You're finding some hope in this. Yeah. That's good. We've had some, we've had some dark material we've covered today. So we're going to finish up with uh, a track that is going to, pop it up a little bit the next track is the beaches back of my heart back of my heart by the beaches Top 
Yeah, pretty different vibe than what we've listened to. Um, what a groove. I mean, you've got that rhythm section just grooving out there. And it's tough not to, uh, I've said this on another episode, you know, talk about another song, but it's tough not to visualize myself listening to this song and just fucking stomping up the street, you know, like with that groove. Um, really cool. It's interesting that you use the, like the the imagery of stomping because uh, what I take from the song is that uh, you can doubt me all you want, but I'm going to get where I want to go and I'm going to do it my way. And it's almost like, yeah, I'm just going to do it and like stomp forward. So like, it's interesting to use that imagery because that, that's an that's a interesting, like it kind of ties into the lyrics, how they, how it kind of drives, how the music drives. So that's what this song for you, this is a, a redemption. There, there's a, a lot of redemption in this yeah. song. And, uh, rather than just persevere, you're going to kick down that door and you're going to get there. That's sort of, that's sort of what you're thinking with this one. Yeah. It's like there's the first line. There's one line that says you shake your head and say, I don't know what you were thinking because you don't belong here at all. And then like the, this chorus is, I know things are looking up. I don't know how long I'll try my luck, but I just know someday I'm going to get there. So like, fuck you. I'm going to do it my way. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, that's what I like. It, that's, we're ending on a high note just because, well, for one thing, I picked this song because I have just been obsessed with the beaches all summer. Um, and they've been following me around because they were added to the bill with the Foo Fighters. And then a week later, they played uh, during halftime at our at our game. And uh, so I just feel like that's like serendipitous or something. Like it was. Absolutely. I've yeah. Been, I've been rocking out to this band like in their, in their I don't know, like they're going places and that's pretty cool good uh and they rock man like they had a couple tunes at, at the at the uh Foo Fighters show where they kind of jammed for a few minutes and just went off and like they they hold their own they're going to be heavy hitters that's great well yeah. when you're playing in front of Dave you want to impress you know that's what I was thinking I was like Dave's gonna get one look at these chicks and like they're going on the rest of the tour with us that's I don't think awesome. that happened but it should that's great well, Justin, uh, I really want to thank you for bringing in these songs and sharing uh, your stories and the strength that you find from music and uh, the strength that you found, you know, through your journey. Uh, it's impressive. The middle of March, I was in the hospital and I didn't know if I was coming out or if I did come out, how long I was going to be around. And four months later... I might be in the best position I've ever been in my entire life mentally. And to reflect on that, I need to be more uh, grateful of the journey and uh, realize that a blip on the radar in terms of a bad day is nothing I need to fret about. You should definitely pat yourself on the back for, for where you are and how you feel and, um, yeah, I just really want to thank you for hanging out this afternoon. I'm not entirely sure why you picked me for this because you just started doing this. This is a fantastic concept, and it is an honor for me to sit here and do it. It was just as cool as I hoped it would be. Oh, wow. Thanks so much. That means a lot. Well, uh, one more time for your, um, for your connectage. Um, where can people find you? Uh, I don't have a website or a, or a profile, for that matter, on social media for my for my podcast, I just do everything uh, directly through my own account. So you can get me on Twitter at J-D-I-C-K-I-E. 
Uh, you can hit me up on Facebook Messenger, uh, Justin Dickey. Just look me up. Uh, I, you know, it shouldn't be too hard to find. And uh, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play Music, pretty much anywhere else. You, get you do podcasts. a web search for it, you're going to find it. 100%. Um, you might have to uh, be a little creative look, looking for something um, mental health related, but uh, the title of the podcast, again, is... My Therapy with Justin Dickey. Perfect. Oxley, play us out. Fuck you, you're drunk and acting tough. I know you said you're not the only one who feels like that now. You see what I mean about Justin? There's just something there, right? If you aren't listening to his podcast, head over to iTunes right now, subscribe, rate, review, do the whole nine yards. It's called My Therapy, and it's it's really um, a very candid look at what is going on with somebody who is struggling with mental illness. That brings us to the end of our show. I can't thank you enough for listening and enjoying the show. The feedback that I get from you is tremendous let's do this again next month what do you say be well and stay safe a show of strength is a movement where i try to encourage courage you can subscribe rate and review the various shows we produce at apple podcasts google play spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, including how to connect on social, please visit www.ashowofstrength.com.